Hello, and welcome to this episode of Life on Rails. I'm Juliet Maxim. And I'm Lucy Wright. We're from Greater Anglia's PR department and host this podcast, which goes beneath the surface of one of the UK's largest train companies. In this episode, we speak to Sally Shaw, director of the First Sight Art Gallery. The more you exercise your imagination, the more you have this muscle that can work for you in so many different ways. And anyone who uh, can visualise their future and then can draw it, they are nine times more likely to make that into an actual reality. Our resident fairs guru, Ken Strong. We have lots of money-saving offers people may or may not know about, and so it's useful just to have a quick revision. Martin Beeble, Greater Anglia's Engineering Director. It's It's a proper mix of things. New technology, better design, better acceleration, all of which adds up to be a much more reliable service. And Georgia Payne, Greater Anglia's Safeguarding and Trespass Prevention Lead. If you feel that somebody needs support, whether you're 100% or not, if it looks out of place or if you feel something isn't right, trust your gut as simply giving an opportunity to talk can help somebody. Juliet and I will also be discussing journeys to and from the station and integrated travel. To kick things off though we're going to speak to Matthew Chivers, Head of Revenue. We're here today for a special Mythbuster feature talking about fares with the Head of Revenue, Matthew Chivers. Hi Matthew, how are you? I'm very well. And and so what do you do then? What is a Head of Revenue? So I'm Head of Revenue at Greater Anglia. So I think amongst other things, I I look after pricing uh, as well as promotions and the product development of Greater Anglia's rail fares. Some people think that we put up fares all the time, but that's not actually the case, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. If you think of almost any retail business, they can and they do put up their prices at any time. So that could be daily, weekly, and they have the freedom to do that. Whereas in the rail industry, we're, we're governed by the Department for Transport, really, and they set some quite strict guidelines around when we can change prices. So that means we only really got three times a year when we can change the price, and that tends to be January, May and September. But actually, because, because the government do put a cap on prices, we only tend to change prices around once a year. Now, another query that comes in all the time on social media is, um, you know, why can't we offer, say, £5 fares every day for every train or £1 fares every day for every train? Sure. So, so the, you know, as in most businesses, price is used to kind of the manage, manage demand and supply to an effect. So that would be um, like if we... If our rush hour trains in the morning, if all the prices were £1, we just wouldn't have enough seats, would we? No, just like any business where there's a limited capacity of, of the product, then mm. then the price is used to kind of, in a sense, spread demand. Okay. So why do we put up our fares then? Why do we put up our fares? Well, I guess, like all prices, they, they prices go up. As economies grow, prices go up and that, you know, that's inflation. We have to cover our costs, so... It's wages, it's the cost of the fuel, it's the trains themselves. But it's also, we we invest for the future as well. So obviously you'd be aware that we've just, you know, rolled out a brand new fleet of fantastic new trains. And of course, we're spending a lot of money on improving stations, car parks, and it all has to be paid for, Exactly that, exactly that. But people do still talk about cheap affairs, especially in countries like Italy and Germany, and I think Spain as well. But why why aren't ours as cheap as those in Europe? Well, I think there's two reasons, I'd say. So you tend to find European governments tend to subsidise more than, more than the UK government. 
But I think as well, we need to be really careful with some of the comparisons that are out there. Mm -hmm. So quite often the media will pick up on the most expensive fare on a particular route. And quite often that can be a price that very few people pay. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are some some very cheap fares as well that, that, that you'll find. There's been quite a lot of studies on that and, and they've tended to find that choice in in the uk market is 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 much wider the range is much wider so mm. so yes there's some expensive fares but there's also some very cheap fares as well mm. and you get less of that in 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 sort of european european oh, railways right. tell us a bit about these innovative and cheap fares well uh, yeah i th- there's there's probably more out there than than some people people think and i think when people actually delve delve a bit into it they're sometimes quite surprised by some of the good value that's out there so in advance purchase on greater anglia you can go from norwich to london for for as little as 10 pounds you know that's over 100 miles in Mm. in in a journey that that's great value cambridge eight pounds south end six pounds so some really good advanced purchase deals especially but also people are generally familiar with off-peak prices but Mm. Not everyone's aware that we also offer some super off-peak prices as well. So, and what's super off-peak? So super off-peak is just in what we call the the later afternoon, effectively. Mm. So if you're getting to London after twelve, mm. so you can get a you know an even even bigger discount mm. on your on your off-peak ticket. So yeah, we have a range of special offers available. So one of them, for example, is is the weekend duo that that mm. two people travelling together. So effectively, that's buy one get the second half price. So that's that's a great deal. There's a whole suite of rail cards, obviously. Mm. And, you know, people should look out for, you know, promotions that, that are out there as well. Mm. So always check the Greater Anglia website. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. I think that's been really interesting and certainly answered a lot of questions that we know people have about fares. So thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. It's now time for Meet a Member of Staff. And today I'm joined by Greater Anglia's Safeguarding and Trespass Prevention Lead, Georgia Payne. Hi, Georgia. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So can you please explain a bit about your role and what your job entails? Yes. so the job itself is quite a broad remit. Um, There's quite a lot of different elements to it, including reducing trespass. Another key part of the role is to implement a suicide prevention strategy, as well as safeguarding vulnerable people on the network. Um, We do a lot of collaborative working with the British Transport Police, um, Network Rail, and various charities such as the Railway Children, Children's Society and Samaritans as well. Brilliant. So this is such an important role and we are so glad that you have joined us. So thank you. So the railway is full of hidden dangers and I don't think people sometimes realise this when they trespass. They may think, oh, I'm just taking a shortcut home. I know there's an hourly service along my line. The train's just been... I should be good to go. That's not the case at all, is it? The railway is full of some hidden dangers, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, like you said, the problem is people fail to understand the dangers and these dangers can be to themselves um, and also others, their family, their friends, if they were to get injured or something even worse, rail staff or even the emergency services. Um, And I think the people that are making these choices to go onto the railway network without authorisation The key message is to educate them, whether that's their parents having conversations with their children or even in schools. And there's lots of materials out there and campaigns to kind of promote safety on the railway and encouraging a lot of the time children and young people not to trespass, but that can be anyone. It's not always young people either. Every day, hundreds of people risk everything by trespassing on the tracks. And the railway is not a playground. There's so many hidden dangers. The overhead lines, 
the electricity through them is 100 times stronger than your household electricity at 25,000 volts. That's just a crazy number, and I think people don't realise that. Trains can often run off timetable. There's never a quiet time. Absolutely. And if anyone does see somebody on the track who shouldn't be there, please tell someone as soon as possible. Tell a member of rail staff if you're at a station or if you're, say, at a level crossing, out enjoying a dog walk, call the police, call 999, an emergency call. Just report it as soon as possible, please. So part of your role is going to be working with Samaritans. We do a lot of work with Samaritans on the railway and they have a campaign coming up this winter, don't they? Small Talk Saves Lives. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yes, so it's a really exciting campaign and with the next phase launching in February, there's going to be lots of different components to it, but there will be outreach events happening at stations across the Anglia route. It's essentially a campaign aimed at rail passengers and the public to kind of promote that All it takes to prevent a suicide is small talk. Suicide is preventable and it can be prevented as as suicidal thoughts are often temporary um, and they can be interrupted. So I think the key message is just engaging with people and empowering people to act, trusting their gut instincts and starting a conversation if you think there is something that doesn't sit right with you as a little small talk can be all it takes sometimes so what could those those things look like perhaps somebody who's been at a station and hasn't boarded a train for a period of time yeah exactly there's so many different common behaviors like you said different individuals on a platform for a long time sat down pacing anything like that but if they're not boarding trains you you would stop and think because nine times out of ten somebody's at a train station to travel somewhere somebody could be standing alone in an isolated spot doesn't have to be at the end of a platform could be anywhere looking withdrawn or upset But however, it is important to say as well, if somebody is considering suicide, there may not be any signs. But I think it's again, it's all about if some if you feel that somebody needs support, whether you're 100 percent or not, if it looks out of place or if you feel something isn't right, trust your gut as simply giving an opportunity to talk can help somebody. But obviously, if it's safe to do so, if they are on the tracks, obviously, it's best to contact rail staff or call the police. But if they are in a safe place it's really important to trust your gut and just have a bit of small talk I think we're all quite good at it it's just building that confidence to do so so what kind of conversation starters can we suggest maybe talk about the weather very British yeah very British Brits love to talk about the weather but it could be anything and I think never underestimate the power of just a simple hello and a smile just interrupting those thoughts a simple question you don't want anything too complicated asking their name where they can get a coffee what the time is anything like that even introducing yourself, asking them where they're going, or even asking if somebody's okay. I think there's a lot of pressure now. You, people are scared about saying the wrong thing. And I think it's just kind of say what you feel comfortable with saying. You can't make a situation worse. I think just smiling, saying hello, asking about the weather is a good one. Or even ask for directions or if you're lost, anything like that. Some really, really good ideas there. So Small Talk Saves Lives, the New Samaritans campaign, will be back with us in February. Yes. Brilliant. Georgia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Lucy. In this Green Anglia segment, Juliet and I will be talking about integrated transport, the way people travel to and from stations. Travelling by rail is one of the greenest ways of travelling, only beaten by walking or cycling. We know the railway is environmentally friendly, but how can you reduce your carbon footprint when travelling to and from the station? Well, we make it easy for people to use the greenest forms of transport to get to the railway. You mentioned walking and cycling. We've got over 10,000 cycle spaces at our stations and 
a huge variety of them. And you know, we've got them at every single station. Even Bernie Arms. Even Bernie Arms in the middle of nowhere. Isn't that incredible? And um, they range from our multi-storey cycle park at Cambridge to cages with fobs, so it's very secure, to just a simple basic stand like at Bernie Arms. And of course... Our new trains have more space for bikes as well, proper dedicated cycle spaces, although please check the website because there are restrictions on taking full-size bikes on trains during the rush hour. That's full-size bikes, but if you've got a Brompton or a folding bike, if it folds, it rides, it can go on any service. Absolutely. But yes, so you can definitely cycle to the stations and we work with local authorities to make sure that you can find the way, there's good signs, and in some cases also cycle paths. When it comes to walking to stations, there's good signposts. We're in Colchester at the moment and outside the um, exit of the station, there's an elephant. It's Jumbo. And if you just follow Jumbo and the yellow flags, you get up to the town centre. And that's one of the things that we have done with local authorities to make it easy for people to find their way. I'm very familiar with that elephant. I've seen it many <laughs> times. How did you get here today? I walked. I walked to the station too. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Well, we are green. <laughs> So a lot of our network is very rural. Walking, cycling isn't always an option. So how can people living in a more rural community get to the station in a green fashion? Well, there are buses. We do work with local authorities and bus providers to make sure that our buses connect with the trains as as well as possible. You can even get a plus bus ticket. Plus bus. Plus bus, which is really good value ticket. It includes your bus fare as well. If There is no public transport. It's too far to um, cycle or walk. Obviously, you're going to need the car. We've got very good car parking at our stations with a range of different tariffs. And we've got a flexible parking season ticket, which matches the flexi season ticket. And we even have an hourly, short-term hourly rate at some of the um, stations now. So for instance, if you're going shopping in Norwich, park at Dis park for an hour or two or up to four hours and then hop on the train to Norwich. It's a great way of getting into the city centre. And parking electric cars? Electric cars, that's the future, isn't it? They say Um, almost as good as trains, I suppose. But yes, we do have some parking spaces for electric cars and that is something that we are reviewing currently. Excuse the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Um, Like you said, there is quite a lot of parking available and If people are concerned that they may get to a station and there are no spaces left, don't be concerned because there is a live tracker on our website. So if you know you're going to be travelling to the station soon, you can look that up and make sure that there will be space for you, which is very handy. Yes, that's true. And then also you can check how many bike parking spaces there are and, you know, all the facilities, the bus interchange, where the bus stop is, everything like that is all available on our website. We run services to airports as well, don't we? That's a a great way to to get to the airport to take the train, isn't it? Yeah, planes, trains and automobiles, we do them all. Um, (laughs) It's a brilliant way of getting to Stansted Airport. You can get to Stansted from Norwich, there's a direct service, or from London, Liverpool Street. And it takes you right underneath the terminal. So you just roll up on the train, walk up the ramp or, or go in the lift. And there you are in the departures building. So much better than faffing around with parking. And we also stop at South End Airport. Yes. And City City Airport in London. Just catch the train to Stratford, get on the DLR, and there you are. 
It's just so simple. I love catching the train to the airport because you can take far more luggage with you than perhaps you can fit in some cars. And like you said, you're directly in there. You don't need to worry about organising parking, paying for parking. It's super, super quick and convenient, I think, to um, to get the train to the airport. Yeah, definitely cheaper as well. Mm. And your holiday begins from the moment you set foot on the Greater Anglia train, of course, doesn't it? Right. Well, I'm off to book a holiday. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Juliet. Thank you and enjoy your holiday, Lucy. For the new train segment, I'm here with our engineering director, Martin Beeble. We're talking about how the new fleet has helped improve overall performance on the railway. Hi, Martin. Welcome back to Life on Rails. Hi, Lucy. Good to be back. So our new trains, they are more punctual and reliable, which is really great news for our customers. So what is it that makes them better? Well, it's a real mix of things. So I think if you think back to two, three, four years ago when we had our old fleet, it was a real mixed bag. So we had some newer trains, some much older trains, um, including trains that were designed and built in the 70s and early 80s. So kind of for trains that are that vintage, comparing our new fleet to them is a little bit like comparing a Morris Minor with a Tesla. Um, so we, <laughs> we we went through the design process with the manufacturers for our new trains um, quite quite some time ago now. But these things, as always, you only get out what you put in to them. And we spent quite a long time focusing on things through the design process, like reducing what we call single point failures. So they're, they're parts of the train which, if they don't work properly, the train won't work without them. And of course, our new trains, they're, they're modern technology. So they move away from relays and valves. So things that have got mechanical moving parts, they're much more software based. So of course, that's got its own challenges, as anybody who's ever seen the, the Windows famous blue screen of death can tell you. Um, but once we've solved the software problem, the benefit is you've fixed it forever. So yeah, really, it's a, it's a proper mix of things. New technology, better design, better acceleration, all of which adds up to be a, a, a much more much more reliable service. So you mentioned their new technology, and we've actually got something that's in place to help resolve problems as soon as they're reported. So how does that work and how does that help to improve the overall reliability of the fleet? You're absolutely right. Um, the, the way in which we tackle train performance isn't just stopping faults from happening in the first place. So our team have got a really, really structured approach to managing in-service faults and getting the train moving again as quickly as possible. We've actually got an engineer um, in my team sat in our control room. And if a driver's got a fault which is impacting their service or they think they have a fault, they might have a fault, they phone the engineer for some help. It's kind of like um, phone a friend on who wants to be a millionaire. But hopefully our guys get the answer right more often than they do. So our phone a friend engineer, they, they use an intuitive system, which we call our decision support tool, which is a neat piece of software. Um, it's kind of a little bit like Wikipedia, but with easier sort of click throughs. So the engineer asks the driver some really simple questions about the fault that the driver's experiencing. And dependent on the answers he gets or she gets, it takes them to um, a, a decision as to how, how they can fix that fault and get that train moving. Or if they can't fix the fault, which still sadly happens in some occasions, how we can at least clear the line so that we can free up the, the railway for the trains that are running behind it and keep people moving. Brilliant. I'm so pleased it's working well. Now, we are the first train company to have a Stadler train. They're new to us as a company, to Greater Anglia, but they're new, completely new to the UK. We were the first train operator to have a Stadler train running on the tracks. So how has that process been? So it's been a massive learning curve for both us and Stadler. The UK really isn't an easy market for new train manufacturers to enter. 
Like with everything, I think we do it just that little bit different here. The process of getting new trains into service is quite complex and quite drawn out, and it's got lots of stakeholders. So actually for Sadler to get up to speed on those issues in such a short period of time was really quite impressive. And I think we've ended up with this really neat mix of kind of new thinking, which has already brought benefits to our route and to our region combined with a kind of a good dose of UK experience which Stadler lent on to help them um, with the service introduction. So um, last month our Stadler fleet ran about 9,000 services about 600,000 miles and we had eight trains cancelled as a result of technical faults. Gosh. So that's that's pretty staggering when you consider these trains interface with hundreds of thousands of passengers every day, running all weathers, hundreds of moving parts. The best bit is there's still, I, I still know there's more we can get out of this fleet, more reliability that we can get out of them, we can make them better. So a majority of our new trains, they're now in service. So I've yep. got to ask you the question everyone wants to know. When will the entire fleet be replaced? When will we just have new trains running on the network? That is a very good question. So the Class 720 fleet are already our biggest fleet by some distance, but we've still got a number of trains trains to buy. We're working really closely with Alstom at the moment to try and speed up the testing and the acceptance process of the remaining trains. We're hopeful that we'll have them all in service later this year. But it's just worth saying that um, the amount of new trains we've still got to buy is um, is actually bigger than the amount of trains that they're replacing because, of course, the new trains are all about building extra capacity and extra seats into our railway. So actually, passengers should start to see an all-new train service way before the last train is delivered. Brilliant. Martin, it's been so good to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year! It's January and we are all trying to save money where possible. I'm here with our fares guru, Ken Strong, who has a whole host of ways you can save while travelling with us this year. Hi Ken, welcome back. Happy New Year, Lucy. Thank you for having me back. Happy New Year to you. So, if you could just run through um, loads and loads of ways that people can save money while travelling with us this year, please. Well, we have uh, lots of money-saving offers that uh, people may or may not know about and so it's useful just to have a quick revision we have the group save where if you're traveling in a group of three or more people you can get a third off can be bought on the day without any reservation or pre-booking requirement we have a duo ticket which is for two people traveling together the second person pays half price in the group of two and that's available in the london and southeast area south of cambridge and manningtree we also have, of course, our very good value advance fares, and the further out you book, the, the better they are. Currently, we are opening reservations about six or seven weeks in advance, so if you check that far in advance, you should be able to find some very good value tickets, especially if you travel outside the peak times, quieter days like Tuesdays, or basically try and avoid early mornings going towards London and uh, late afternoons coming out of London, which obviously are uh, traditionally the, the busiest times for travel. If you avoid those times, you can get some very good value tickets. I think that's a good point to always remember whenever you're travelling, if you know the date you're going to travel, book as far in advance as you can and you're likely to save the most amount of money. And also, if you know when you're going to travel, there's an alert. You can sign up for the alerts on our website to find out when the cheapest tickets are available. So I would definitely advise people to do that if they know their date of travel. Yeah, that, that's right. For This applies, of course, to, to longer distance journeys where we have advanced tickets available. You can sign up to the alert and this is, is a very useful tool to let you know when the tickets become available. But on our shorter distance journeys, we have uh, very good offers as well, such as, as I've said, the group save and the duo ticket. And we also have super off peaks. So if you're travelling 
any time at weekends or any time after lunchtime on a weekday, you can get uh, the cheapest value return ticket. One useful tip if you're booking uh, uh, booking any ticket, always and you're travelling both ways, always put in a return journey. You may end up with an advance ticket buying two singles, but it may be the case that buying the return ticket is not much dearer than buying a single. So it's always as well to, to put in both legs of the journey when you're making the journey inquiry at the same time. And then you quite often will find tickets that you won't find if you just put in a single one way and then do a separate inquiry for a single coming back. Perfect. That's a great tip. Thank you. And how about commuters? How can they save money? Well, as you probably know, we have introduced over the last couple of years, in conjunction with all the other uh, train companies, the Flexi Season Ticket, which allows eight days travel within a 28-day period. So once you validate your ticket for a day, you can use it as many times in that day as you like on your chosen route, including stopping off at intermediate stations. Most people will, of course, just use it to travel from A to B and back. And it works out to be the best value on our traditional medium distance commuting routes, such as Chelmsford to London, Harlow to London, Bishop Stortford to London, routes like that. It can save you quite a bit of money over buying day return fares. Of course, if you're travelling four or five days a week, in most cases, nearly all cases, it's better to buy the traditional season ticket. Nowadays, if you're working sometimes flexibly and other times you're working a full week, you can mix and match. You can buy a flexi season for a certain period of time once that's used up. And then the following week, you're going every every day, you can buy a weekly season or a monthly season. So you can uh, you can mix and match tickets now, or even just if you're only going in the one day, just buy a day return for that particular day. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ken. So there you have it. New Year money-saving rail cards, flexi-season tickets, group saves, duos, off-peak, book in advance. They are all the ways that you can save money, and we very much look forward to welcoming you on board this year. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you. For today's travel surgery, we are here at the incredible First Sight Gallery in Colchester, where we're joined by our special guest, director Sally Shaw. We are sat just inside the entrance to the gallery, so you might hear some some noises. It's it's really great to be it's here. It's not an unbusy space. <laughs> no, we've got um, two literal life-size model cars uh-huh. um, that we are sort of in in the way of, really. Yes, um, <laughs> we are about to get mown down by art. <laughs> What's the significance of the cars? Uh, they are part of our sculpture park. Um, they are by a brilliant artist called Julian Opie. There are two cars, they're life-size. One is driving towards me, the other one is driving away from us. Uh, one is bright yellow and it's a 90s Golf, if anyone knows that. They'll know exactly what that looks like. And the other one is a Ford Escort. Uh, and again, it's a very specific vintage of Ford Escort. They both look very boxy and quite cartoon-like. The colours are very cartoon-like and they look like someone has literally made them out of cardboard. <laughs> They're really funny. Um, so First Sight has had a bit of a chequered start yeah. um, and many people still resent it for replacing the concrete bus station that was here yes. before it. Yeah, um, some people do. Not yeah, many, some, some. But it's, you know, it's a long-standing story for sure. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't the best start in the world. Although no. I have to say as a Colcestrian, I, I much prefer the art gallery. I'm putting that out Hooray. there. It's controversial. Hooray. I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> um, but how I'll did... build it for you, don't worry. Oh, thank you. If anyone 
someone does send you a bad email, just pass it on to me and they can come in and have a chat. It's fine. Brilliant. Well, I'd certainly recommend that people come here. I've certainly enjoyed my experiences here rather more than at the bus station. Um, (laughs) But how did you actually end up here? What did you do beforehand and when did you arrive? I arrived in 2016 and I've spent a lot of time doing public art mostly, so kind of commissioning things in very public contexts, not inside galleries. So I did a lot of art in places that weren't art galleries so that took me to London Underground Uh, I worked for the Mayor of London Boris Johnson for three years and I worked on his fourth plinth program uh, and I commissioned a load of artworks for the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games as well at the same time so lots of big very public stuff why why the change why did you decide to come to first sight lots of reasons I kind of wanted to take all of that public art thinking and learning and put it back into a gallery and kind of prove a point maybe to myself but also to maybe some other people (laughs) that art galleries are for everyone you know this first site in particular is heavily publicly funded we've all paid for it so I don't consider it my gallery at all it's our gallery so I wanted to go and see if I could get rid of a load of hurdles and get loads of people in and you've really um brought the community into first sight haven't you i mean yeah. you do all sorts of things you um you've had the the free meals for, for children yeah. the, the work with refugees you've local artists as well as yeah. big national artists uh, is, is tell us what you've done that's also made you become museum of the year <laughs> last year i mean you've really forever. turned around the we fortunes. will forever be museum of the year <laughs> yeah. uh well, yeah we've done a lot we've you know it's it's the tip of the iceberg really in terms of working with different communities and bringing people into the building but the main thing that we've been doing is to ask people how we can help and talking about what's happening in Colchester and what a place like this can do what sort of role it can play in helping to improve things for lots of different people and when you start to ask how can I help you become useful (laughs) and most art galleries I think aren't very useful actually but art is a really important fundamental thing that we do as human beings and one of my sort of long-term missions is to re-centre that so that people really understand and reconnect with the idea of what creativity and culture are really about so in my early conversations with people like Maria Wilby from Refugee Action Colchester we'd have big wide-ranging conversations about everything that was happening and I'd say how can I help and she'd say well we need somewhere to cook which isn't a very arty conversation at all but then when you think about the fact that my restaurant wasn't working at the time it was literally shut I could give her my restaurant for a weekend. She could enable lots of her clients to come and cook and I would get 2,000 visitors in, in two days. So this lovely, very cultural, really cultural exchange starts to happen at a very basic, basic level. That took place in part of um, G. Vulture's exhibition and she's a very politically motivated artist so it kind of made sense that this partnership with Refugee Action Culture so was in her show. And is that, that's, that's what you've got Museum of the Year for, is it? Partly, but yeah. it's also COVID stuff that we were doing mm. too, you know. We did we had to shut the building, as did everybody else, you know, two weeks in. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And we thought, well, if we can't get people into the building, how do we get the building out? And we ended up making this PDF, a downloadable PDF, called uh, the Art is Where the Home Is Activity Pack. And in the first pack, it had, I think, 20 artists in it, but it was, like, Michael Landy, Anthony Gormley, Jeremy Della, Cornelia Parker, Sarah Lucas, really wonderful, like, the hit list of all great names in British art, you know, at at the time. Uh, And they all contributed these wonderful little ideas that you could just do at home with basic materials or whoever you were with at home. 
stuck it into a pack, uploaded it onto our website, and people could just download it for free. And they ended up being downloaded by something like 100,000 households across the UK. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so there's an awful lot of emphasis on the artists of the future, if you like, isn't yeah. it? You're working with children. Why is that so important to you? The more you exercise your imagination the more you have this muscle that can work for you in so many different ways. And anyone who uh, can visualise their future and then can draw it, so take it out of their brains and put it on a piece of paper, they are nine times more likely to make that into a, an actual reality. I can only think of it as magic, and everything that we're trying to do now, post-COVID, is about resilience, it's about reinvention, it's about finding new solutions, it's about imagining new futures, and all of that is about using your imagination. Wow. And you're totally providing the space and the facilities to do that. I think there's always an excuse why people don't don't, you know, exercise their creativity for whatever reason. And yeah. right right here you have all of that. So this is part of the podcast which is our travel surgery. And as part yeah. of that, we like to <laughs> find a destination for you to visit. Right. Now we know that you and your daughter, you like travelling by train, don't yes, you? Yes, very much. Yeah. So what kind of things do you do you like to do? <laughs> It's okay, we won't judge. <laughs> you will, and it's fine. I'm happy to be judged on what we do. Uh, my daughter and I, we love going to the beach. Uh, but along the way, we do a lot of things. We get on the train, which is brilliant. I did have a car. I don't have a car anymore. Uh, the closest of a car I am now is to <laughs> Julian Opie and his beautiful golf. <laughs> That's beautiful, but... So we use the train a lot, and that means that we chat and we hang about and we mess about the train, uh, and we talk about all sorts of stuff. So we go on the train, we usually go to Walton on the Naze, nice. which is our nearest yeah. and dearest, um, and we head, what do we do first? We go pie and mash first, very important. <laughs> I have pie, mash and gravy, it's at White's Pie and Mash uh, on, in Walton on the Naze, um, and Verna has pie, mash and liquor. Sometimes she'll nick a bit of my gravy. And then we go to the beach to look for fossilised shark's teeth. Very important. We've got a collection in the kitchen, on the wall, mm-hmm. bits of blue tack. Then we go to the arcades. Then we have an ice cream. Then we go to the playground. And then we come back. And sometimes we have a bit more pie and mash. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get on the train and go home. And it's brilliant. It's the it best day. It sounds it. Yeah, it's a really good day. We'll come with you next time. This yeah. sounds brilliant. It's heavily scheduled. Absolutely. <laughs> Two pie and mash visits. I know, right. It's a lot of pie and mash. Where where we're recommending, we, we thought maybe you should branch out, visit some other Fine. seaside destinations. Now, the only thing is I can't guarantee the pie and mash. That's okay. I'm so sorry, you're going to have maybe, to do your research no, there. Seek some new. Um, I was thinking Felixstowe. Mm-hmm. It's not too far to go. It's a okay. really lovely Will um, I be scared? Resort. Is it too far? Is it like, you know, very different? It's, do you know, it's not that different to Walton on the Naze. Right. Are there arcades? There are arcades, there are amusements, there's is a there pier. Is there a pier? Good, definitely this is good, this is good. And um, lovely shops, if you just want to have a little wander around the shops as well. Good second-hand shops? Oh, some brilliant charity right. shops. this is good, this yeah. is sounding good. Really good charity shops. And uh, really pretty lights as well on the front, nice. which, which I think is gorgeous. And you can see the big docks, and if you're really brave, you can get a little ferry and go for a little ah, tour okay. of the right. docks, which is which is really interesting. You're dwarfed by those enormous nice. ships full of containers. Then I was thinking, now Lucy would know better about this, if you ventured even further Lucy afield, just pulled a face. She's a bit worried. <laughs> I don't know what she's going to say. You, if you're into fossil hunting, is it, is it West Runton? Somewhere near, between Cromer and Sheringham, there's a really good really? beach for getting fossils. Oh, because we're well one. into the fossils. I've got one. I, I found one when I went there, and I've, I keep it in a very special what place. What is it? Do you know? Um... 
I can't remember. It's very, very old and it's a fossil that's good enough for me, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think it is West Runton. Yeah, between... It's in North Norfolk area, so okay. um, Sheringham, Cromer, that, that kind of area. Yes, okay. you're absolutely right. And if you went to Cromer, of course, brilliant Crabs. pier, end of pier show, and yes, crabs. Nice. And fish and chips. Yeah. Okay, so like, which one are you sending us to? Cromer or Felixstowe? I do, I'm kind of inclined to think we should send you to both. I think yes. we love both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Can we do a tour? Of course. Yes. We like, is it possible to go by train? I don't think you could do them both on the same day. You'd route. go Colchester to Ipswich, Ipswich to Felixstowe, Felixstowe back to Ipswich, Ipswich to Norwich, and then Norwich to Cromer or Sheringham. That sounds like a long day. A long day. So I think two trips. Yes. Yeah. Sign us up. Okay. Deal. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> we will. That brings us to the end of this Life on Rails episode. We hope you've enjoyed learning new things about Greater Anglia. If so, let us know on Twitter at Greater Anglia PR and leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This brings us to the end of this season, our first season of Life on Rails. But don't worry, we'll be back later this year with a new season, new episodes and a new presenter because Julia is leaving us for pastures new. I'm very sorry to go. I've really enjoyed making this podcast and we've loved the feedback that we've had from people who've listened to it and I will be sure to subscribe to it from now on. Thank you so much. I've loved co-hosting with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a brilliant host, Lucy. Thank you so much and thank you to all of our listeners and we look forward to coming back with a new season very soon. While you wait though, follow or subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at greateranglia.co.uk forward slash podcast for more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you.